It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to Candidate Confessional. I'm Sam Stein. And I'm Jason Cherkis. And I want to take a little moment to talk about the economy. The current U.S. unemployment rate is at a meager 4.3%. That's the lowest rate since before the 9-11 attacks. Now, while the mood of the country is sort of restless still with worries of vanished manufacturing jobs and the loss of identity that goes with a pink slip, that low unemployment rate, that's something to marvel at, especially if you consider where this country was at the beginning of the financial collapse in the fall of 2008, when the housing market collapsed and Lehman Brothers died and major financial institutions were desperate for aid. I mean, Sam, Michael Lewis had yet to explain it to us. And so without I don't him, understand anything unless it's explained by Michael Lewis. And without him, we're lost. <laughs> I mean, and, and at the time, the Bush administration who had to, you know, handle this, no one really trusted them. No. This was after WMDs weren't found in Iraq. Yeah. And, and, well, this was after Katrina. Yeah. In late September, a president that no one trusted called for the passage of the TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program. They actually could not come up with a better name for it. They didn't have the time. No, and the bill would cost taxpayers $700 billion, and under its provisions, the government would buy up a huge amount of so-called toxic assets with the hopes that it would stabilize the market and prevent a deeper recession. Without it, Sam, the sky would fall. Yeah, well, not just that. Zombies would eat Manhattan. We had to pass it. Of course. So today what we remember about the TARP is that it did pass. The world economy was saved. Zombies never arrived on the streets of New York. But just a few days before President Bush signed TARP into law, there was another vote. The first TARP vote. In the midst of the biggest financial crisis in generations, that first bill went down to defeat. The Dow fell by 777 points, and for a few horrifying days, the global economy, it peered into the abyss. Today on the show, we're going to take you back to September 29th, 2008, the day of TARP vote number one. That day, the Republicans and Democrats had to somehow strike a deal and convince a couple hundred jittery politicians to hand over $700 billion to the hated financial sector. And to top it all off, it was taking place in the midst of a highly contentious presidential election. Now, to take us behind the scenes, we're joined by Brandon Daly, who was then Speaker Nancy Pelosi's communications director during the TARP vote, and by Michael Steele, who was Republican leader John Boehner's press secretary during that vote. They were inside the walls of Congress for one of the tensest and most consequential legislative battles of our lifetimes. Welcome to Candidate Confessional. I'm Brendan Daly. I was communications director uh, for uh, for Nancy Pelosi for close to 10 years, actually, as minority leader and then as speaker as well. And then I was smart enough to uh, move on after that. Damn. And you? 
I'm Michael Steele. I'm a managing director at Hamilton Place Strategies. And for about seven years, I was the press secretary for Republican leader and then Speaker John Boehner, including during the time of the TARP vote. Okay. And the reason – and the subject matter today is the TARP vote, um, specifically the uh, failure to pass the TARP vote on the first go-round. But let's not start there. Um, let's start with uh, the failure of Lehman Brothers. Goes down on September 15th. Wall Street shaken to its very foundation today. Lehman Brothers will file for bankruptcy this evening. Even the health of the most trusted firms are now being called into question. Not looking pretty for a Monday morning tomorrow. At what point, as people who are working on Capitol Hill, uh, do you get the sense that Congress will have to intervene in some way uh, financially to help prop up the financial system? And Brandon, why don't you go first? Well, you know, during that week... Really, on uh, Thursday of that week, actually, which I think was the 18th, if I recall correctly, um, the Speaker called Secretary uh, of the Treasury, Hank Paulson, and said, you know, what's going on here? What do we need to do? Can we meet on Monday? And he said, no, we need to meet tonight or the economy could collapse by Monday. And they had a very kind of well-known meeting now where uh, he came in with a number of other administration officials, and they had a bipartisan leadership, um, I believe, of the House and the Senate, actually, um, and really laid it out in very stark terms that it's going to take several hundred billion dollars that need to be injected into the uh, economy and to the to the markets to keep the economy going. We believe that this decisive government action is needed to preserve America's financial system and sustain America's overall economy. These measures will require us to put a significant amount of taxpayer dollars on the line. He really just outsourced it all to Paulson and basically made Paulson almost like the president. In this but don't case. you think that was by design? I think it was, it was. but but you know, still kind of odd. And and he was not. I think I think part of that was by design for the benefit of Republicans just not wanting to be publicly associated with the administration too much at that point. But it was also definitely by design to make it easier to get a bipartisan result because yeah. Secretary Paulson was not a partisan figure and had good relationships he had with good Democrats. Relationships. And then and Bernanke also, and they brought Bernanke in. And Bernanke actually had been a real student of history and certainly had studied the Great Depression and talked about that, in fact, during that meeting, that we this could happen again. There's no magic formula that prevents that from happening again, and we could be talking about this as another Great Depression. I mean, it really, it made a significant impact on anybody in that room because it was very dramatic. Were you guys, at that before that meeting, did you guys think in those terms, in those sort of apocalyptic terms, or that we're going to bring on another depression? Or was it only after Bernanke came in and Paulson came in and gave their speeches? How, how bad did you think the situation was? Well, I mean, it's hard to recall exactly. I think people thought it was bad, though. And so it wasn't a complete shock. I think this just sort of crystallized it and, and, as we said, made it more dramatic. But people certainly thought it was bad and knew that, you know, when, when Lehman went down, I think that AIG went down and there was just a number of things that were happening right after the other. And this was, you know, we, we had to take action. I would put it this way. There had been a lot of speculation among financial analysts and in the press about that possibility that we were headed for you know, a meltdown in the global financial system and, and the resulting depression. Hearing it from the responsible government officials, people with deep backgrounds in the markets, it had a different effect. This troubled asset relief program has to be properly designed for immediate implementation and be sufficiently large to have maximum impact and restore market confidence. We believe that strong and timely action is urgently needed to stabilize our markets and our economy. So I urge you to act as soon as possible. You know, this is another shit sandwich that we're going to have to eat <laughs> on behalf of the administration. Delicious. And, um, you know, it was 
Boehner referred to it explicitly in those terms, and it was absolutely clear that this was going to be a totally politically toxic well, vote. And the, right. well, and people, I gotta and go people do the, that from the beginning, and and, and, the, and you know we can talk about the vote. Soon we're going to get there. I want to talk about yeah. the the politics because in this um, milieu. Uh, was the presidential campaign, right? I mean, like you have two people running for office, McCain and Obama, and um, McCain decides uh, rather dramatically that he's going to stop his campaign uh, because the crisis demands it and he's going to uh, suspend his campaign and then come to Washington to have this meeting. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stand back and let you guys describe the meeting. Uh, you, why don't you go I, first, Steele? Uh, this is, you have to remember that this is a, the, I just want, this is a White House meeting. We right. have the leadership of each party. We have Obama now there. We have McCain there. We have Paulson. We have Bush. Go yeah, I, I, I'll start out just by remember that Senator McCain is in no way associated with economic issues. He won the Republican nomination on the strength of his position on the surge. He is an American hero, but he's never been particularly engaged on these issues. So he was picked when national security seemed to be the dominant issue. Frankly, Governor Romney had a much better economic record, and I think had it been clear that the economy was going to be the issue, he would have more likely been our nominee. So McCain kind of at down in the polls, not really steeped in, in economic matters, but with his maverick nature eager to uh, shake up the race with some sort of dramatic action, announces he's suspending his campaign. Tomorrow morning, I'll suspend my campaign and return to Washington after speaking at the Clinton Global Initiative. I've spoken to Senator Obama and informed him of my decision, and I've asked him to join me. And it was bizarre. <laughs> Uh, he's a candidate, so he couldn't just go to his Senate office. So he comes to Boehner's office and ha basically spends several hours hanging out in the minority offices on the House side of the Capitol. Doing what? What's he, what's he doing? Very, <laughs> various, at, this, at this point, various snacks? members are coming in to talk to him about the crisis and what they think ought to be done. But there wasn't like a vetting process or a procedure, so it was sort of – He's just there. Any member with the gumption or the thought that maybe I can contribute something to this situation would wander in and talk to him and then – What was the staff feeling when he's just sitting there? Like, like what do we do? Do we, do we <laughs> offer him a iced tea? Well, we were, <laughs> what we were trying to do is give him a briefing on what we thought the situation was, the latest download we had from the White House, et cetera. And so there's a – he gets in the motorcade to go to the White House. There is a famous anecdote uh, that appeared in the – the, the Mark Halpern book, Halman Halpern book, that he basically spent the entire car ride from the Capitol to the White House uh, talking on the cell phone with his uh, with his wife about dinner. Uh, and then r as they're pulling into the White House gates, turns to a Boehner aide who is with him and says, so what do I need to know for this meeting? Was it can, can I just jump in yeah, for a second? Because yeah, I think that was the impression from the, uh, the Democrats in the meeting at the White House that here McCain had suspended his campaign. This was a huge deal. And then when it came time to say something in the meeting, he basically was silent. And you had, dep and you had deputized anything. Obama right. heading into the meeting to speak on to behalf. To speak on behalf of Democrats. So and what, was it was that Harry Reid there and yeah. Nancy Pelosi there. That was strategic, that this guy is running for president, that this could be a dramatic moment. Well, he gave moment. us a little and, bit of the preamble to the meeting. Tell us what it was yeah. like on the Democratic side. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right, that you know the, the agreement was that Obama would speak on behalf, and he did very eloquently as he can, and then um, – Really nothing from McCain, and it was just very odd. And there was basically then a talk that we're going to have to get a vote, and you know they didn't get into the numbers at that point. But you know eventually there was a deal that if the Republicans could bring a hundred people to the the, uh, the table for the vote, 
Democrats could get 120, that, that would actually pass. At this it. point in time, are they? Are, do they have an actual dollar figure? I mean, when did Paulson put the three pager out? Do we remember? I don't remember the sequence on that. I think it was. It might have been right around this time, though, because yeah. so you now vote, know, this was like I think I want to say again, like a Thursday or Friday, and then the vote was on the following Monday. So you now so. know what you're going to vote on. Roughly, it's it's a lot of ma- a large amount of money. But but it, but it was a three page thing, and the yeah. Democrats like that's not going to work. So, lot, so we added quite a bit. Of, we added the, quite a bit. What were the major wrangling that? points yeah. on each side? Well, well for the Democrats, it was you know for one thing was executive compensation, like you know the idea that we're going to bail out these banks and then not have any limits on the salaries. That was really the thing that really annoyed people that also that we wanted to put them, some things in there on housing that we were going to help the folks who actually needed the reason this thing was so toxic was people had assets that they couldn't you know afford and what can we do to actually help people who really need it and so then there was a lot of back and forth on that there was we wanted some fraud protection in there because this is obviously this kind of money yeah there's a lot of concern about fraud that's what i was going to say that so. the, the the initial proposal was characterized by our by everyone as kind of a blank check for hank there must be no blank check when American taxpayers are on the hook for this much money. Even though everyone agreed that we need to do something, we weren't just going to give a blank check. Was it also just at that point trust issues with the Bush administration? Like, hey, we're going to give this guy a blank check. He hasn't proven himself at this point. Sure. And the fact that it was clearly going to last after the Bush administration. I mean, this this program, whatever we were creating, was going to be administered by – uh, uh, most Democrats. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, and the irony there again. We could talk about this yeah. later. The yeah. the politics. People think that it was an Obama bailout, even though the yeah. vote was actually under yeah. Bush. So back to the meeting. So you go in there. Obama's deputized. McCain's silent. Um, and then it just sort of like breaks down, right? I mean, the Republicans basically said no. Right. They didn't say no, but it was clear that there was a lot more huge amount of skepticism in our conference. This is on its face a violation of every conservative principle bailing out wall street banks bailing out, you know bailing out private enterprise these guys took the risk they assumed the risk we can't have Paulson should have made it a tax cut for them <laughs> we can get we can get to the stimulus debate and do, we can get to the stimulus debate later but the uh, it wasn't it was a complete violation of principles and for many members they felt it was just another Violation of conservative principles. I want to so, 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 quote Bush from Bush. Though. Bush says in this meeting, Bush actually said this sucker could go down in reference to the economy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's the way he, that's the way he talked. But <laughs> but so then the Democrats and Barney Frank in particular, but you know, and and uh, Speaker Pelosi and a number of them thought, well, if they're not going to be for it, why we're trying to help out this president. We're not going to do it. And so they said, well, forget it. And then there's that famous story again in Halpern and Hoblin's book where, where, where Paulson gets down on one knee and basically just begs like, no, my God, we need you. We need you to do this. And, and I think he was doing that. Obviously, he knew he was being dramatic and it was kind of for show, but it was also What did your say, boss think in that moment? I think she thought this is a bit over the top, but, <laughs> but she got the point of it though, that this is dramatic and needs to be done. And, you know, even though it was a Republican president, we're going to step up and do the right thing here. We're going to deliver the votes. No, everyone knew this was going to be a bad political vote because nobody wants to be seen as bailing out these rich banks who screwed us. And so, you know, and this became obviously a campaign theme even all the way up through the last election. This has been a and, – and it wasn't as if people didn't realize this was a, a tough political vote. But the Democrats and I think the Republicans who voted for it said, OK, even though politically this is tough for us, we're going to have to do it because otherwise – the sucker could go down. What was the first stuff. moves that Pelosi and Boehner made after that meeting? Who do they call first and what was the strategy for each side? Do you remember the meetings that were going on in your offices? I just remember a marathon of 
briefings where they would send administration officials up to the Hill. We'd meet in Cannon Caucus Room. At that point, particularly because of the loss in 06, a lot of administration officials were former House members. And you have to remember how low the president's credibility, the administration's credibility was with House Republicans at that point. I remember a Georgia congressman walking out of one of these briefings for like five people, Bernanke, and everybody are, giving, are saying it's going to crowd. But guy walks out and just like, well, they say if we don't vote for this thing, the economy is going to collapse. But they said we'd find WMDs in Iraq. Jeez. <laughs> What do you say? What do you say to that? Right. Yeah. What do you say to that? I mean, this you know, these are not the same people. This is not the same issue. That you know, that, that um, it's a very different thing. And but the and credibility we had, we had is some very folks low. on our side saying the same thing. They're, certainly, credibility is low. And as we talked about earlier, it did help. I think having Bernanke and Paulson, who were seen as credible and and nonpartisan, and nonpartisan, and also earnest like they they really want to do the right thing for the country that this is a crisis moment and we need to actually rally I mean, it feels here. like both sides were voting almost against their their interests in a way or, or oh, their absolutely. beliefs well certainly absolutely. well certainly on the political side they was against yeah. their interests but in the end it's like you have to do the right thing i mean it's you have a similar kind of vote sometimes on these you know debt ceiling votes nobody likes to vote for them because it just politically doesn't look good but you have to do it because we can't default on our debt yeah. this was a bigger deal because it was actually bailing somebody out and there were some things that put in the bill to to make sure that the money got put back in. And so, in fact, so that happened. Boehner, was he up to about two packs a day? Or where, where was he? <laughs> he has always been an enthusiast for ta- tobacco products. <laughs> okay. All right. So, and Merlot. And, and Merlot. Merlot. Not much Merlot these days. So five days after – so four days after the meeting, um, you're now getting ready to vote. And um, we, we, what we don't remember or recall is as you get to the point where you're putting that bill on the floor and you think that you're going to get there but you're not sure. But we know we're short. Yeah. We knew we were short. What is the constituent – like what are the constituent pressures before then? I mean are you getting a ton of emails, phone calls? Yes. I mean this is – They were furious. I mean furious. they were okay. – they were, I mean they, they, these guys crashed the car and now you want to give them another car. Or you want to rebuild you, – you're throwing good money after bad. We had it the was, same thing. Yeah, it was And awful. so on the right and left, I think there was very much similar kind of reaction like really you're going to give these guys the money. They're the ones who destroyed this thing. But this is essentially Mr. Paulson's bill to help his friends. America, you should be outraged about what Washington is about to do. The $700 billion bailout for Wall Street is being driven by fear, not fact. It is an unprecedented and unaffordable and unacceptable expansion of federal power. Long term, this is disastrous. We're going to give them billions for assets they've mismanaged, and then we're going to hire them to manage those assets. Please, please don't betray this nation's great history. That was the environment in Congress during the push for the TARP bill. Representatives were channeling their constituents' anger at the idea that public funds were going to be put on the line to bail out the very financial institutions that had gambled with the nation's economy in the first place. When we come back, Pelosi gives a now infamous speech. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, welcome back. When we left off, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was getting ready to give a speech attempting to rally recalcitrant lawmakers to her side to vote for TARP. When was the last time anyone ever asked you for $700 billion? The speech is such a critical moment, I guess. This was so, the last thing you heard. This is the last speech before right. you vote. And right. the bulk of the members are on the floor. Right. Like so, most of the debate, most members didn't hear this. This one they so, did. So and in fact, I listened moment. to it again last night because I hadn't heard it in a long time. I, and it was, you know, from the Democrats' point of view, she was really laying out, here's how we got in this situation. The lack of oversight, the lack of regulation, the sort of inattention to detail from Bush. Had, and so she was trying to rally her base. When President Bush took office... He inherited President Clinton's surpluses, and with his reckless economic policies within two years, he had turned that around. And then, you know, she kind of scoffed later when they, they, you know, and and Mike and I can disagree about this, whether that had an impact on the Republicans, because her point was they didn't like this thing anyway, and this was an excuse to not vote for by blaming her. For too long, this this government, eight years, has followed a right-wing ideology of anything goes, no supervision, no discipline, no um, uh, regulation. If they felt they had to do this, doesn't matter what she said. Was she worried that she would risk Republican votes in making that speech? I mean, I know she had to rally her base because – as Jason noted, the CBC wasn't there. A lot well, of what was this? Yeah, well, no, on the other side, did she worry that Republicans would say, whoa, 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 I thought this wasn't going to be a campaign issue? I don't think so. I don't think so because that was really, you know, in her mind, you know, she sort of separated out. We've, we have to get our number. They've got to meet their number. And I don't think she thought this was going to drive their number. So the, and in the, even after it happened, she doesn't believe that that's why. It, I think she wait, thinks so that's strategy, an excuse, not a reason. And there's so the, a difference there. How much of the speech was ad-libbed? I mean – as it was written, was it more or less of a barn burner? Or, or <laughs> I'd have she, to. I don't remember. Get... Certainly, well, most of it, most of it was ad lib. But you know, there's things that she's talking. These were things that she had been talking about. These were themes that she had repeated again and again. This wasn't really anything new. Okay, so the vote is now happening after Pelosi's speech, right? Um, I mean, do you want to take it Pan- here? I mean, pandemonium. Yeah, and then utter as, chaos. Yeah. What are you seeing up there on the hill at this stage? Uh, obviously, the clock is frozen. Time is standing still. We on saw Capitol one switch. Hill. We saw one switch. Uh, if uh, this switch is any indication, is there some serious arm twisting going on in the back of that chamber? Well, as it's going down, you know, then you see the sort of split screen. The stock market starts dropping. This would be the biggest drop point drop in American history. That's right. You're watching history right now at 689. Okay, so it becomes clear the bill's going down. No one's going to switch their vote. It's going to fail. Um, I guess I'm wondering, was there a bitterness about Pelosi's speech? We felt as though we had an understanding that in order to get this done, everybody's got to lock arms and jump out of the boat together and that there are really bad political ads, there are really bad political attacks that could be leveled against you. But you know, there's an element of having a gun to your own head on this, and we're all agreeing that we're not going to use it that way. And standing on the floor, listening to uh, Speaker Pelosi, our members were hearing the DCCC attack ads in their heads, hearing the Democratic blame game 
played out before them. And I think there was a lot of well, if that's their attitude, yeah, we're, we're not, we can't do it. We're not, we're not getting there. Did Republican leadership go to her and complain like you, you really messed this up? I think, I think there was some. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Like it wasn't. My memory is nobody came and said, "Hey, this really wasn't great." I think later that sort of through the press, really. We sure, well, it was. Yeah, because we, they talked to the press about it. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi gets up, and she gives a speech that is seen as so partisan. It, it angers enough Republicans to have made the difference in this vote. Right here is the reason I believe why this vote failed. And this is Speaker Pelosi's speech uh, that, frankly, struck the tone of partisanship that, frankly, was inappropriate in this discussion. Uh, I do believe that uh, we could have gotten there today uh, had it not been uh, for this partisan speech that the Speaker gave on the floor of the House. Barney Frank afterwards said this is absurd. Like you're just covering up the fact that you didn't have the votes. And I think it's true. You never had the votes. He, we were exactly where we so told the Democrats we needed to be in terms of the votes, which was short. But we thought we could get there on the floor. And Barney, Barney Frank was hilariously sarcastic about it. I still remember the lines <laughs> about, you know, I will go talk with uncommon sweetness to the Republicans if their feelings are hurt. We have come together on a bill to alleviate the crisis. And because somebody hurt their feelings... They decide to punish the country. I mean, I would not have imputed that degree of pettiness and hypersensitivity. I mean, and there were 12 Republican members who were ready to stand up for the economic interests of America, but not of anybody in Southern. I'll make, a, I'll make an offer. Give me those 12 people's names, and I will go talk uncharacteristically nicely to them. <laughs> And tell them what wonderful people they are, and maybe they'll now think about the country. Uh, but the truth is it was a political calculation, a political survival issue. I mean these guys, every Republican member and every Democratic member was up for reelect in about six weeks. Yeah. Uh, this was not, you you know, this was not a, a distant issue. You did have a strain of Republicans. You referred to it earlier who would say, well, there's the, they didn't find WMD either. And there was a strain of Republicans who were arguing that this wasn't – this wasn't even needed to oh, save, sure. save the economy. That a simple rule. There was a basement meeting with Daryl Issa, and I'm wondering, like, what you thought of his efforts and in this basement while. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 uh, did you give him the finger? Or anything? No, nothing like that. I was, I was always very, very respectful of elected members. Um, the uh, there is always a desire among members of Congress, I suppose, in both parties, when faced with a seemingly impossible decision. If, if, you're, if you don't want to pick A or B, you sometimes try and invent C and sometimes that works and comes up with a compromise that, that is a better solution. In this case, you really had to choose between the rock and the hard place. You know, we're watching our office. You know, people in the, I'm on the floor, but people are telling What's me the, the floor office, like? It's kind of like, oh, my God, this thing Ra is really not going well here. Rahm gotta, Emanuel you know. was still there screaming profanity and anyone near him. <laughs> uh, Joe Crowley, who was a physically just big huge man. guy, yeah. big guy. Is standing there waving his BlackBerry over his head because he's getting he's getting the market yeah. updates. Yeah. So he's yelling, "The market's down two hundred points. The market's <laughs> down three hundred points. You got to vote for this fucking thing." <laughs> and you know that that was the that was the mood, and yet it still went down. And I think it ended up going down seven hundred and. I want to say seventy-seven points. Well, yeah. Once like it, once, that, it, so. once it was obvious it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And once it was obvious it was going to get there, I believe a lot of the members. Yeah. There was a jailbreak. Members was, who yeah, had been yes, like, okay. went back. Then to people no. were like, so they switched because yeah. they didn't want to. Yeah. Because then they wanted to. Because so, the question I had is who? You know, there is a train of thought. Well, if you kept it open, 
just keep the vote open and twist some arms. Yeah, we we had done that obviously with the Medicare prescription drug bill a few years earlier in the middle of the night. Yeah, and yeah. Mem- members were pretty wise to that one. I mean, a lot of the guys who who were no and didn't want to move like immediately voted and left the floor. Yeah, they left. Yeah, because um, they didn't want to have to. Didn't want to get beaten you, up. They knew they'd get you'd get yeah. their arm twisted. What was Banner's reaction as this was going down? He was talking to he. He doesn't get kind of physically fired up in these situations. He went and talked to people he thought he might be able to move, and I'm moving slowly around the floor. Other members in the whip team were a little more frenetic, um, but he had clearly in his mind he had three or four guys that he thought he might be able to check, like you know what could get you there? Are we close? Uh, and they just nobody was moving. Nobody and. It, it, Again, the momentum was all in the wrong direction. And Pelosi? Yeah, same thing. I mean, she that's what she would do. I mean, we had – I was starting to say earlier that, you know, we had a number of close votes where some votes we'd put on the floor where we weren't sure we had enough to win. And she was very good on the floor about talking to members about, here, we need you for this. Here's why. And so she was trying to do that here too. And I don't she remember lost a vote before that she put on the floor? I don't think so. And I don't think she lost one after this either. So this was it. This is my memory. That's the only one she ever lost. Actually. What's the mood like after? Okay, it's gaveled. It's closed. It's done. You're on the floor still, I presume. Yeah. Panic. Like, well, shock. Yeah, you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> the biggest point drop that the Dow has ever experienced in history. It all came crashing down Monday after Congress failed to pass a bill that would help rescue the nation's economy from financial disaster. The bailout package rejected. The key question now is what happens next? U.S. Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson calling for quick action to protect the U.S. economy. Did either of you really, at, at that moment, think, my God, we just, we just allowed the world economy to completely collapse? Oh, you're yes. shaking your head. Yes, uh, yes. I think there was. It was definitely, there was definitely a concern that the stock market slide that began while the vote was being held could have continued and could have had calamitous results. Yeah, I think that's right. But on the other hand, you know, talking to Pelosi, she was like, "No, we're going to get, we're going to get this thing through. We're going to figure out a way to pass it." And so, yes. Why was, did she have that optimism? <laughs> because it just had to be done. It had to be done. That's sort of her way, a very steely way that. <laughs> We can't. We can't just accept. Was it there any there. indication in that first vote that it could be done? I mean, that's the thing. I guess yes. Once you wake up and you're 770 points lower in the stock market, it might shake some people loose. But like, it might not. It might not. But I think her her point was we have to do it and we have to figure out a way to make this happen. Man, you had blinders on. You guys were just like, let's just get it done. <laughs> were there conversations between? I don't her think it's blinders. I think it's determination and and realization of the stakes here. She's got a can-do spirit. <laughs> That's uh, all it took. I mean, were there conversations between her and Boehner after the vote? I mean, what were those conversations like? And was she pissed at the Republicans who were trashing her speech? I mean, what was the mood like with her? Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, of course. Um, but, you know, she can take that. She's been criticized before and certainly was <laughs> afterwards. So that w- didn't really bother her that much. I think it was really – you need more than 65 votes. It came down to that. And then, you know, I don't know if he said to her – you know, well, your speech didn't help. I don't know if he actually was that direct with her. My memory was just more through the press. Rather yeah, than I think we. I think it was. But I, I think they were just trying to figure out, okay, how can we actually get some of these folks back? And maybe the stock market huge drop will be enough to do it. In the end, I think that is what did it. I mean, there was persuasive arguments and discussions with members. But in the end, it was, as Mike said, you know, touching the hot stove, seeing the stock market collapse, that is what did it. 
Were there any political calculations that went into the vote because you did have the presidential race? I'm wondering if the Democrats saw it going down as helpful to Obama because this is on Bush's watch or that would never enter the picture. Well, and certainly politics would always enter the yeah. picture. But I think – I don't know that a necessary – I think people thought Obama was going to win. Let's get this done under Bush actually and they're hoping that oh, <laughs> then it would become a Bush bailout actually. That's probably right. And and of course in the end as we said it, it, people still perceived it as Obama. And bailout. there were there were, you know, there were individual political decisions. I think most Republican members who were interested in pursuing statewide office in the future wanted to make sure there were no votes. I think that most Members that were in really highly competitive districts um, going into November, I mean, we'd already lost a lot of members in 06, but we lost even, we lost a few more in 08. Yeah. And people who knew they were in a tough reelect. One other thing: How clear was it when McCain was in your office that he knew nothing and wasn't going to be helpful? I think that it was never clear whether he had a plan, and he may. It, it could. It could he have had a been, plan. It was a dinner plan. It could have been <laughs> that he was. Uh, it could have been that he had consulted with his economic steaks, advisors steaks, steaks and with uh, steaks with ketchup. You know, Doug, he and Doug Olson <laughs> had a really good plan, and he just wasn't sharing it with the members that were talking to him on he and all the couch and Boehner's office. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was. It, it wasn't until later that it became very obvious how little he had how. What little he had to offer in terms of potential solutions, and, it, and and just back to the politics of it, because I was interested when Mike said about you know when McCain got the nomination because of his support for the surge in Iraq. Right. Obama really got it for lots of reasons, you know, but one of them was that he was an opponent of the Iraq War, and you recall right. that Hillary. Yeah, it wasn't had like not Obama been. was an economic guru, you know. He was, but, like, he, well, but no, he, he had that he, he, he had that uh, way of sort of you know learning and, and able to speak about it in a way that made a difference. Like he projected confidence, and but, he talked to the right people. On but it's an interesting argument if. Since Secretary Clinton's argument at that point – excuse me, Senator Clinton's argument at that point was that she was the statesmanlike, tested in a crisis candidate, had it been clear the degree to which the economy was facing a crisis, I think it is entirely possible you'd have had a Romney-Clinton race. House Republican leaders went back into uh, Boehner's office, the minority leadership suite behind the Rayburn room there. Boehner fired up a camel and said, (laughs) what are we – you know, what next? And – we talked about we needed to get a – we had to do a press availability. We had to offer an explanation for uh, why the vote had failed. And Pelosi speech. At that point, <laughs> at that point we Pelosi. didn't have a plan. Uh, at that point, we didn't have a plan for what was next. And what was your- right. And the same thing. We had to, we had to get – you know, we regrouped and like, OK, how, what do we need to do now? And you, you is this – You a nicer it, office then. Though. Yeah, who had, exactly. who got the call from Paulson though? Or did both of you get calls? At some but, point, he must have been I like, assume, I, I assume – the speaker certainly did. I assume yeah, he, yeah. he called Mr. Boehner as well. And and um, there's a reason his razor phone is now in the Smithsonian. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I think then it became okay. Look, look what happened here. We cannot let this go down. And then we just had to figure out, as, as Mike said, we couldn't really do much on the policy. And anything Time you did too bad. much to help Democrats would 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 Correct. would would knock out the Republicans. So it was basically okay. We got to regroup, but we got to get this done this week. And then it was just a few days later. And it ended up passing, but yeah. it was, and that was, it wasn't um, a lot of arm twisting. I think at that point it was just like, look, 
we can't. We need this vote. We need to do this. People well, saw the fallout. People saw that this is why did this is real to, here. This why did he take the this fallout? Isn't a I don't. I mean, that's the thing. Well, because I think go back to what Mike said about there is that you know I mean, trust. we're talking about billions of pe- like pensions. Well, people are saying, look at you know you why why should we believe you? you we didn't believe you on WMD. Some, I mean, even s- now look at look at the trust and government trust and what people say. This was starting back then. Like, why should we you believe do, you? You do really see the seeds of that. I mean, yeah, you know, the, and well, you see the, I mean, the, the populism, the the fact yeah. that Trump and Bernie both look, were sometimes were tapping. That was sometimes right from you got to stick a penny in the socket to learn it's not a good idea, and that's pretty stupid. But sometimes you just got to—it's just got to be that way. But this is definitely the beginning of many of those populist feelings, in the sense that the leaders in both parties did something wildly unpopular that they felt was necessary, but has never been really accepted by the American people. Did the um. And in fact, it did actually do what it was supposed to do. And in fact, the money got paid back as we said it would. But people don't know that. They don't believe that. In fact, they think it's an Obama bailout. There's a million sort of misperceptions that have happened did since the, then. Um, did the, so we talked a bit about the constituent, the reason I want to ask about the constituent calls and emails prior to uh, the vote. Did they change after the vote? No. It was, it was, there was no, there was no expression of joy or gratitude from the American people after we had done this. No, no, it no. Was, after the failed vote. Did people oh, yeah. say, ooh, ooh uh, this oh, is bad? Oh, man, why didn't you guys do this? We How could you fail? How, I think the business happen? people might have done that, but I don't think regular yeah, folks no, did you, that, no. Constituents did not call in. No, um, no, that's not my memory that, no, that they I said. I guess oh, they're not as tied to the stock market ex- as yeah, – yeah. yeah. But business leaders like, oh, my god. You've got to do something here. What did it something. feel like that like you had the leadership, both parties, you had the president, you had all these unions who were for it. Both presidential candidates were for this. And it still failed. What was that moment like? Did you, was it almost like hopelessness in some way? Well, it was a very surreal time anyway, I think, because of all these, you know, the Lehman Brothers and AIG failing and just the – this was just not what we were used to, that this economy was really on the precipice here. And I think this just added to that, like, oh, my God, this is really a crisis here and we have to do something to fix it. I think the people who – you know, Barney in particular, but lots of folks who felt like we have to – we have to – stand up and, and fix this. Um, so it sort of just was, you know, there's a series of dramatic things. We talked about the dramatic meeting at the Capitol. We talked about Paulson. There were, this was another dramatic moment. And so it was like, we have to do this or we're screwed. What about as, as you know, political operatives and staffers? I mean, this was, I'm, I'm guessing, but I'm, this must have been the most surreal and crazed vote moment of your of your time or tenure maybe not the debt ceiling or something yeah i was like gonna that. i was gonna say it's 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 either this or the debt limit thing have you ever had a vote like August. this before or after i mean i just want to underscore just yeah the it, no it, it was of that moment we, we did not have another time where we were uncertain of the votes when we thought there was a genuine chance that the global financial system <laughs> was at stake yeah no i think that's 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 a good way to put it and that you know, their debt ceiling vote and the government shutdown. There's been some other difficult votes, certainly from our point of view. The healthcare vote, all of the number of them were very difficult and, and, you know, obviously much more partisan. But this was in a bipartisan way, people saying, okay, we don't like this either. We know this is bad for us politically, but we have to do this. Could anything have been done to avoid the failure of that vote? Well, well, the speech. Uh, uh, no, well, I, I was actually going to start with the, the banks could have chosen not to give loans to people who couldn't Fair pay enough, them back. But okay. Once, quite, you, once in, you're in, in that quite point. such a great volume. Once you're in that point, did you ha- my question is, did you have to fail once to get it passed on the second time? 
I mean, that's the way history happened. I don't know that we had to do it that way. Yeah, again, I, I think that's right that, you know, it could have been. And maybe, you know, I don't think the speech made the impact that, that you know, that they claim. But probably, of course, when something fails, you could have done something differently because it, it passed four days later. In some ways, it passed because the stock market collapsed. So and that, you know, hadn't happened before the first vote. So it made the first vote there more was difficult. A, there was an element to which members had to touch the hot stove to learn that was a bad idea. Really, but, I mean, and you, that's what the stock market collapse are you was. With, but, are you worried with Trump and with the current climate in, in, on Capitol Hill that this could easily happen again? Not, that if there was a financial meltdown, that there would be a similar vote where they would vote against the interests. Well, in terms of the lack of trust, I, yeah. I, I do worry about that. I don't think we're near – that's in that that situation economically, but certainly the the mistrust and particularly with the president constantly talking about fake news and this isn't right and you know his credibility is pretty low at this point. Um, I do think there is that worry, but you're not you, you, you don't made, have the same kind of vote, so it's a different sort of situation. Though. He certainly made that mainstream and 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 winnable strategy, the fake news stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's I think there's an argument that there has been an increasing break in the bonds of trust and um, between the, the American people and their elected officials and other institutions. This is one of – the TARP vote was one of the most dramatic turning points in that and that phenomenon in general made President Trump possible. Yeah. yeah. I think that's I want right. to talk about that. I think that's right. It sort of accelerated since then. I think that's exactly yeah, right. See, it just transformed see, both see parties too, right? Like for Republicans, it unleashed – I mean people think of the – the Tea Party is rising in response to healthcare, but it, that's not true. It was in response to TARP, right? And then to Brandon's point, you know, there's these misperceptions that Obama bailed out the banks, right? When it was in fact Bush, and right. so in some ways, this set the course for both parties in very diametrically different directions. It painted Democrats as Wall Street lackeys, launched the Tea Party, and so are we still dealing with that? Well, yeah, I think to a certain degree we are, and you know, you have a certain element of the. Republican caucus that won't vote for certain things like the debt ceiling or other tough bills. And as Mike knows, that ended up yeah. driving Boehner from, from office. He's just like, I can't deal with this anymore. And often for a certain vote, he would actually have to come to Pelosi and say, okay, what do you need? Because I need your Democratic votes. And so in that sense, it actually made it bipartisan. But um, in general, there's just, you know, not a lot of bipartisan. You know, this is nothing new, obviously, but, you know, the, the partisanship had gotten worse in the last eight years, not better. And the lesson should have been that actually we need to work together because if we don't, this whole thing could collapse. For Republicans? But but it hasn't been that way. I think it's bigger than that. I think that there is a sense that the institutions that have served this country very well for the first 50 years or so after World War II are not necessarily equal to the problems of today. It's partially due to technological change. It's partially due to uh, changes in the society writ large. But – the tools that were used to govern the United States um, aren't working effectively right now. A lot of the guardrails simply aren't effective in a way that they and were. I, I, I do think that, that you know people also see that democracy is very delicate. This is, this is not something that's built into the safeguards we have in our system depend on people. And even like just you know, for instance, on the the travel ban that that Trump did, it was judges who said this was not right. This is not following the Constitution. They had to actually look at that. You can't just say, "Oh, the courts will stop him." It, it's individuals on the court who will have to stop him. It's individuals who really make up these guardrails and make up the um, these institutions that we rely on. And you look at you know again, just like for instance on Trump talking about NATO, and he first says, "Oh, it's irrelevant," and then he has one conversation. Oh, I guess it is relevant now. And so there is a, a, a sort of a danger. I think some of this demagoguing and 
and bashing all these institutions. Sure, they need to be better, and there's things that can be uh, um, fixed about them. But as Mike said, they've actually helped us become the country we are after World War II. What I think people don't remember is that, um, in, in fact, the Senate passed their bill before the House passed uh, took their took their shot. So, uh, the Senate, I think, uh, a couple days after the House failed vote, maybe one day after the House failed vote, uh, passes their seven hundred billion dollar top bill. Um, did seeing them act help you all in getting your bill done? Probably, because now it's all on you. Probably, a, it probably did put the focus more squarely on the House. The the economic fallout more squarely on the House. But senators, only a third of them were up for reelect that year. It's always easier for – it is always easier for a senator to be statesman like four years out of six. Right. And and the House members just in general were not particularly thrilled with the Senate on any, in, in both parties with, no matter what the vote is. And so I don't think they say, oh, the Senate did it. We have to follow suit. I think they're the focus having to be on the House that we need to get this done now. That may have been something. But again, I think it was the stock market crash that did it. And when you brought it up for the second time, and it ultimately does pass, before you go in this time, do you know you have the votes? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really – it was I, – I really remember it being undramatic. It was a yeah. very kind of humdrum moment by the time we finally did it. No, I guess we saved the economy. Oh, well. Yeah. yeah. We'll do no, it. So, right what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing this weekend? We're going exactly. to save yeah. the economy. Yeah. You, you want to yeah. get a steak? It was just – Let's yeah. go to Tuesday so Fridays. And, the, and my last – the last point I want to make is, you know, and I, we've touched on this a little bit, but like TARP worked. Like there was a lot of problems with TARP. Like don't get me wrong. The oversight, the executive compensation, the stuff that you worried about early on. Right. Uh, ended up being problematic, and certainly lack of relief for homeowners was a problem too. But it worked for the express purposes of rescuing the economy. Worked. Will uh, people and, ever and recognize that? No, no, I, I don't it, think so. It, it, it they paid back the last of the loans. I think a week or two ago, the 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 very end, tarp is over. Tarp is done. Tarp succeeded, and it will never it will never be popular. It will never get the credit it deserves. The the statesmen and women who got it done will never get the credit that they deserve from history for doing something incredibly difficult in a moment of crisis for our country. Uh, I, I think that's right. And, you know, Obama certainly has talked a lot about at the end of his term about rescuing the economy from the depression and people kind of forget how bad it was and that this really was on the precipice. This isn't just hyperbole because we hear so much hyperbole. This was real. And I think that it was a very difficult vote and People don't get the credit for that. They don't get the credit even for the you know the stimulus that Obama did after that. That actually had a lot to do with the recovery as well, and that gets completely lost by folks. What did you do to mark the occasion last week when they? Did you have a glass of Merlot? I turned to a colleague who worked in the Bush administration Treasury Department and said, hey, they paid back last tarp loan. And we're like, oh, that's good. No one noticed. That was nope, it. That was it. it was, I mean, no one noticed. It, it was a – it was a wire service item that I happened to notice on Twitter and commented on it only because I knew someone else was who had worked on TARP from the other side was sitting four feet away. That was Brendan Daly, former communications director to Nancy Pelosi, and Michael Steele, former press secretary to John Boehner. Candidate Confessional is produced and edited by Zach Young, who also wrote our theme music. Zach, every week I tell them this, you don't have to remind me. Thanks, Sam. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and spread the word. Just tell any random stranger to do the same. Next week, Jason and I sit down with Rick Zaber. 
one of the first ever openly gay candidates for Congress. See you then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.